How many of you have been uh, to a hibachi uh, grill? How many of you have been to a hibachi? Yeah, hibachi. M most people have. Okay, so you know what it is. Do you remember the first time that you went? I, I, I think I remember the first time I went to one because I didn't really know how all that was going to go. You know, I don't know if you remember hearing the first time, they don't cook in the kitchen, they cook at your table, right? And you go, that's kind of a weird thing. I, I had a good buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at a Baptist church in the town we lived in, and he and I would golf two or three times a month together. And this one time, we, we were really hungry, so I went and picked Stacy up, and we went out to eat dinner that night at this hibachi. And I'd never been to a, a, a hibachi grill. And so you know the routine if you've been. They ask you, you know, do you want you know, steak, chicken, whatever. So we got steak and chicken, I think. And, and I'm just mesmerized by this guy. You know, he's clang, 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 clang. You know, he's got all this stuff clanging around, flipping eggs into his hat, making a little fire volcano, and, you know, the little uh, smiley face. And all this stuff is happening. And I'm like, I've never, I've never been in a restaurant. Like, this, this is pretty crazy. And, and so it's kind of overwhelming. So the guy is doing all this stuff, clang, 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 clang. And he stops. You know, you know how it goes. He'll stop and he'll be like, you want sauce? You know what I mean? You're like, whoa. You know, I don't know if he's going to ninja me to death. What's going to happen here? And so all of a sudden he stops clanging and he, and he points the spatula at the chicken and he says, how do you want your filet? And I, 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 and I looked at my buddy and he looked at me and we went, how many ways are there to cook chicken? Like, I, I, um, done? Uh, you know, non-salmonella? 165 internal temperature? I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what the answer to that. What do you mean, how do you want your filet? And so he kind of clang, 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 and goes, how do you want your filet? And we're just, uh, I didn't know what to say. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what you're trying to ask me. So I'm standing there, this, and, and he's talking, and his, you know, he's got kind of a thick accent, and we're going back and forth, and man, we are just passing each other in the night. Nobody understands what's going on. We're giving crazy answers. He's asking more questions. Well, this guy's lost his mind. How do you, I've never been to a bocce. Do you eat raw chicken here? I don't really know how that works. And Stacy was laughing at us because I think this is the only time that men actually read body language. Some of you wives can attest to this. A woman can walk in a room, she can read body language everywhere. A guy walks in a room, got no idea what's going on. Blind to body language. Unless a man has a tool. If a man has a tool, you got a wrench or a hammer or a motorcycle or something awesome, men can read body language. So this guy's working with a tool, and he's so throwing me off because he's asking me how I want my steak, but he keeps pointing at the chicken. Well, I can't understand you because the tool is pointing at the chicken. And I'm speaking man right now. I'm not speaking woman. I'm speaking man. The tool's pointing to the chicken. I can't hear what he's saying. All I can see is, why do you keep stabbing at the chicken? And we're having like this first-class misunderstanding. I was acting on a misunderstanding. I was making a decision based on something I wasn't, that wasn't even really happening. Now, here's the interesting thing. This can happen to us in our understanding of God. We tend to approach God with philosophies about life that we picked up along the way. Things like this. So we believe stuff like this. There's no free lunch. You get what you deserve. Do unto others before they do unto you. People want something for nothing. You know this one. You scratch my back, and I'll scratch your back. Give others what they deserve, but not one penny more. No pain, no gain. And listen to this one. God helps those who help themselves. Do you know a majority of Americans were polled and actually believe that's in the Bible? 
God helps those who help. People also think, uh, this is in the Bible, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, not in the Bible. Just for trivia, in case you thought that. They're, these are human ways of thinking. None of us are born with a grace philosophy of life. So when we bring those ways of thinking into our understanding of God, we misunderstand God. And the Bible gives us an entirely different perspective to see the world through. As we get closer to God, we begin to see life through the lens of God's grace. And so that's the new series we're starting today called Grow in Grace. This summer we did an awesome series uh, from 1st, 2nd Peter and the book of Jude. And it's just a really rich study. So I want to read to you 2nd Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the last verse in the second book of Peter. He closes this entire book, and many commentators will tell you this is the key verse in the whole book. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But grow in the grace. Grace is something that you can grow in. Grace is something that I want to grow in. Grace is one of those subjects I want to come back to in my life again and again and again because I cannot finish it and it will never finish its work in me. But I can keep growing in it. Grace is something God wants our church to grow in. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how to grow in grace. Now, in the eight years that um, I've been a pastor here at Kingwood, I've led five different discipleship groups with 12 or 15 people, nearly 70 people in five different groups. We teach 26 uh, topics. And I've polled all five groups which topic of the 26 had the greatest impact on your life. All five groups all agreed it was the topic of grace. When we're taught about grace, it's made the biggest impact in our life over time. So I know that the need to grow in grace is present in every one of us. It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual life. You can still grow in grace. Even if you're far away from God, even if you're really far away from God, you can grow in grace just by simply accepting God's grace. And if you've walked with God for a really long time, sometimes the more we walk, we kind of get in this rut where we grow in religion, but we don't grow in grace. And so all of us have a need today we can grow in grace. Now, I want to look this morning at Luke chapter 15. There's an incredible story that Jesus told that reveals a lot of our misunderstandings about grace. About a third of all of Jesus' teaching uh, was in uh, this thing called parables which are just stories that weren't true, but uh, sounded true. They, they could have happened. They probably didn't happen. But the, So this isn't like sci-fi. This isn't like fantasy. This isn't something bizarre out there somewhere. These are stories that the average person would identify with because they, they, they could have happened, although they probably didn't. Jesus used these common stories to reveal deep spiritual truth. Now, most parables don't have a conclusion, and the reason they don't is because they're intended to not be uh, received as a spectator, as a person outside the story. They're intended to invite every one of us into the story so that we might personally wrestle with the truth of the story ourselves. Most of you have heard um, the parable we're going to look at today of the prodigal son. You've probably, probably heard of this. 
Jesus told the parable to make a point to religious leaders who were complaining about his friendship with outsiders. They didn't like the way he spent time with outsiders. They didn't like the amount of time that he spent. They didn't like the people he chose to spend time with because they misunderstood grace and they misunderstood forgiveness. So rather than Jesus saying, you know what your problem is? You misunderstand grace and you misunderstand forgiveness. Jesus told them this story to show them how they misunderstood grace and forgiveness. So the story went something like this. I'll just kind of summarize it today and then we'll look uh, at the very end. There was a man that had two sons. The younger son decided he wanted to shake the dust off the family farm and go see the world. So he did something that would have been very offensive. It's hard for us to maybe uh, recognize it in our culture, but it would have been very offensive there. He went and asked his father for his share in the inheritance. Now that's offensive because he shouldn't have had his share of the inheritance until his father passed away. But he asked for it. It was kind of like a slap in his dad's face. He asked for it before his dad was even gone. So his dad gave him his inheritance because he wanted to go get, get out of town and go party and do what he wanted to do. So he did. He went and saw the world, and uh, he went and gorged himself on every sinful thing the world has to offer. And after he went broke, ran out of money, hit rock bottom, then he decided to go back home. Because he said, you know what? My dad's never going to accept me back into the family. But I have nowhere else to go. So at least I can go back home and maybe get the lowest job on my dad's farm. Maybe he'll have enough mercy on me to at least give me the lowest job so I can get back on my feet and I can at least survive. And so that was his plan. But nothing went as planned. When he went back home, his father was overwhelmed with joy that his son had come back home and he, and he restores him right into the family, right back into the farmhouse. He didn't have to go live in the barn. He didn't have to go live with anybody else. He puts the family's best clothes on his back. He celebrates his return with a party. And most of all, he completely forgives his sin. Now, the older brother is very frustrated by this. He shows up at the house right at party time. And he hears all that's going on, and he goes in to see what happens. And here he sees his brother as the center of attention in the middle of the party with the family clothes, fully restored, and, he, and he's gone and wasted everything, and he knows it. And he's so angry, he goes outside, and he won't even come back in the house. So the father goes out to see what's wrong with the older brother, and the older brother begins to complain. And in the older brother's complaints, we see three misunderstandings of grace that we oftentimes have. So if you're writing this down, you're taking notes, uh, you can, you can uh, look at Luke 15, 29, and we see these three things in his comments. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. All these years I've been slaving for you. So number one, grace is not about what you do. All these years... I've been slaving for you. The older brother was living with this idea that the way to God's grace was to sacrifice and to work hard and to earn it. That's how he misunderstood it. You can always tell when you're dealing with somebody who um, has this misunderstanding because their sentences start out something like this. I have served God all my life. Or, I've been a part of this church for 20 years. Or, after all I've done, you would think. 
And it's the idea that God or the church or someone somewhere owes me something because of all the good things that I've done. I've done my part. Come on now. Where, where's my reward? It's that idea. So, so let's just be honest about something this morning. It's so much easier to see that misunderstanding in someone else than it is to see it in ourselves, right? It's hard to see in us. I can remember when, um, years ago, when our youngest son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I can't describe for you uh, the life-changing event that was for our family. It's unbelievable. And, and I remember having this feeling. I don't remember if I said it. I don't remember if I prayed it. It doesn't matter. It's in my heart, and God knows my heart. And I can remember having this feeling. Come on, God. <laughs> I've dedicated like my whole life to you. Since I was a teenager, when my friends would want to go off and do wrong things, I wouldn't go with them. Because I thought that's what you wanted. And I, and I sacrificed, and I didn't do things, and I, and I, and, and I you know, went to college, and I followed you best I could. And no, no, we haven't lived a perfect life by any means at all. But to the best of our ability, we've done everything that you've asked. How do we deserve this? You ever felt that way? God, I've, I've done my part. I'm a good person. I've done good things. Why should these bad things come into our life? And I can remember feeling this. And people sometimes in their comments, you can read between the lines, why would these bad things happen to people like pastors who, if God is as good as we say he is, then why would he allow these bad things to happen to those people who've committed their whole life to him and serve him so much? If that's how God treats them, why would I serve him? Right? We've heard it. We've all heard it. I just want to make this statement this morning, and I'm going to put it on the screen because I want you to be able to see it. When we think the way to get God's grace is by serving him, we're really serving ourselves. We're not serving him. We've entered into this agreement that God never enters into. Sometimes we serve God because we think if we do a good enough job, God will lift our guilt or He will fill our life with blessings. And we enter into this unspoken contract. We say, all right, God, I'm all in. But man, if I go all in with you, you better fix this. Or if I go all in with you, you better make my dreams come true. You better pour your blessing. You better do this thing or that thing or the other. But grace is not about what you do. Grace is about who God is. It's centered in His identity, not in your work. So grace isn't about what you and I do. Look back at Luke 15, 29. Here's the second misunderstanding he had. Not only have I been slaving for you, I never disobeyed your orders. Number one, grace isn't about what you do. Number two, grace isn't about what you don't do. <laughs> it's not about what you don't do. The older brother assumed the way to grace was keeping the rules. If I just follow orders, God's going to have to honor that. And the problem is, listen, he kept the rules, but he missed the party. I know a lot of people. Boy, they tell you, you know, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't curse, or I don't smoke, or I don't watch this, or I don't do this thing, or do the other thing. And you know what? And you're all by yourself and miserable, living a joyless, empty life, and nobody wants to be around you because you follow the rules. But you know what you miss? 
the party. You missed the joy. You missed the grace. <laughs> you missed the life. You missed the point. You might know the rules, but do you know the heart of the one who gave the rules? That's what it's about. The religious leaders that Jesus was talking to, they were professionals at keeping the rules. They were so professional at keeping the rules that they actually invented a set of their own rules to keep them further away from breaking the real rules. Wow, that sounds like a fun bunch. And if you didn't live up to their expectations, you must be punished by rejection or criticism or, or at least disapproval. And you know what's, uh, what's sad? Some of you had parents like that. You had, to, you had to earn their love. Love was a reward. When you follow the rules, oh, brag on you and love you. And when you don't, it's just as cold as ice. And you learn the hard way that love was something you had to earn. Grace was something you had to earn. Forgiveness was something you had to earn. And can I just tell you, you and I can pick up misunderstandings of grace along the way. We sometimes misunderstand grace because we think it's a reward for following the rules. When it should be something that the people who love us give to us. You'd be surprised how many marriages operate this way. On rules instead of grace. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. And we measure out how good we're going to be to each other based on what you've done for me. Well, you did that, so I'll do this. And we're always measuring, measuring, keeping score. Grace isn't about following the rules. It's about what's in your heart. You might follow the rules, but do you understand the heart of the, of the one who made the rules? The person who misunderstands grace, love is a reward. The person who understands grace, love is a gift. So grace isn't about what you, what you do. It's not about what you don't do. Here's the last one, verse 29. I never disobeyed yours, yet you never gave me even a young goat. It always comes down to the goat, doesn't it? You never gave me a goat. What is this? The goats. So I could celebrate with my friends. Number three, grace is not about fairness. How many of you have a baby brother or sister? You're like the first baby. Lift it up real high. It's not a, it's not a curse. Just lift it up. It's okay. It's not a sin. But baby brother or sister. How many of you know... They were treated better than you. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Oh, 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 man, it shot up right there. Jesus, come on, Jesus. You know they got away with murder, right? If you'd ever done some of the things they did, it would have been over. You'd have been dead, right? So you can see where this is going. This is a perfect setup. Of course it's the firstborn who stayed home and worked. Who else is going to do the work? They're always goofing off. Of course, it's the youngest one that took the inheritance and went and blew it out the window in another country. Of course it is. He's been blowing everything his whole life. Right? We know how, we know how this happens. Hey, young parents, let me just give you a word of wisdom here. Let me give you a word of wisdom. This will save your life if you have more than one kid. At our house, we call it cut and pick. You got one candy bar, you hand one of them a butter knife, you say you cut and you pick. Right? You cut it in half and you choose which half you want. Hallelujah. It's like getting saved, man. Can I tell you? Because you're pushing the responsibility of their own choices onto their little fingers. It's incredible. It's like getting saved. 
The older brother reveals his heart. He always wanted a party, but he just didn't have time because he was slaving away, following the rules, living a joyless life. But the father, watch, seemed shocked. He seemed shocked. What, 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 What do you mean you wanted a party? And you couldn't, what, what, look at verse 31. He says, now he's talking to the older brother, the one who stayed home, the one who followed the rules. And what does he say? Oh, everything's in those first two words. My son. See, the older brother's working on rules. The father's working on relationship. My son. What is this about? You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. You know when we misunderstand grace, the same thing always happens. It makes us blind. When we misunderstand grace, we grow blind because we can't see the good things God has given us. Because we're always focusing on what somebody else has that we don't have. Or we're focusing on what went wrong or what we don't have. That's all about rules and keeping score and all of that. What did the older brother have? He had a relationship with his father. He saw him every day. And he took it for granted. And what did the father say? Everything I have is yours. We have thousands of goats. Kill one and party. What are you talking about? What is this? That's not, is that really what this is about? No, it's not what it's about. It's never what it's about. Everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? You don't have a a goat. You don't have a party. What are you talking about? He had a relationship with the Father. He he had everything the Father owned. He could have had a party anytime he wanted. And he got his brother back who he thought was dead. Graceless life is always a life that lives blind to the good gifts God has given us. Because we're focusing on what we lost or what we don't have or what went wrong or how somebody else got away with something we don't think they should have got away with. Always. Grace says, stop counting. Stop keeping score. Receive the gifts that you have. What's the moral of the story? The younger brother went away and wasted everything. The older brother stayed home and wasted nothing. But neither one of them really understood the inheritance they had in the father's house. One took it and blew it. The other one kept it and let it rot. Neither one of them really understood. But the younger brother was better off because he received God's grace. Grace isn't about fairness. Grace doesn't give us equal experiences. Grace guarantees us that no matter what experience we have, God loves us equally and will not stop giving us His unconditional love. Thank God I don't have to have a good life to be loved by God. Thank God I don't have to do everything right to be loved by God. I can be loved by God as I am, in the shape I'm in. You can be better than me, and God still loves me. It doesn't matter. If grace isn't about what you do or you don't do or about fairness, what is it about? It's about receiving the unconditional love of God into your life. So today, where do you need grace? 
what part of your life do you need grace in? If you and I are going to grow in grace, we're going to have to begin to look at where do I need grace today? So would you stand with me this morning and I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. Everybody in the room, if you'll find a place you can stand comfortably for a minute, close your eyes and open your heart and, and let's, just, let's just settle in with Jesus for a minute. Let, let's just let Jesus speak to our hearts to do a work inside of our life. Maybe, maybe you were raised with a parents or family that you thought you had to earn God's love and you need grace there today. Maybe inside your marriage things are not working very well and you need God's grace today. Maybe you've suffered rejection and you need grace today. Maybe you need grace to help you forgive something that's been done. Or maybe you're struggling today to forgive yourself. Maybe today you're carrying a heavy burden or a need and you need God's grace to lift that need up off your shoulders. With every eye closed and no one looking, maybe you're here today and you say, I don't even know if I have a real relationship with God. But today I need God's grace to know that. With every eye closed, if that's you and you say, today I need a real relationship with God. Maybe, maybe you've been away and today it's just time to come back. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you right where you are. You don't have to move or anything. But if you say, I need a real relationship with God. I need God's grace. That when I leave this place today, I know that I know that I have a relationship. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand and say, would you pray for me? Thank you so much. I'll pray for you today. Somebody else. Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, both of you. Thank you. Somebody else. A real relationship with God today. It's time. I need a real relationship with God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Pray with you. And then I'm going to invite everybody who needs grace to come to the prayer team and let them pray with you. Would you just, would you just repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me all my sin wash away everything I've done wrong set me in a right relationship with you give me the grace to walk with you and follow you thank you for helping me today in Jesus name with every eye closed if you need grace in your life today, you know where you need it. I just want you to come to one of the prayer team and say, would you pray with me that God's grace would fill my life? Here's the thing. You know what you, grace isn't about what you do. It's not about what you don't do. It's not about fairness. You know what grace is about? Asking. All you have to do is ask for grace and you have it. So if you lifted your hand to start a relationship with Jesus, I want you to come 
and just say to one of the prayer team, it's so important that you tell somebody what you did. And one of our prayer team would love for you just to tell them and they'll pray with you. But if, if, you, if you need grace today, I want you to come as the worship team begins to sing. I want you to come right now. I want you to come today and receive grace. Just come and receive grace. Oh, what a Savior. Come on, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good. But you need grace today. I need grace today. I need strength. I need God's power. I need God's love. Today I receive grace.